All right, let's go ahead and open with the word of prayer. Jesus, we do thank you so much, God, for this evening, and we do give you the highest praise, Lord. And as we come before you, God, I pray you just, as we've been sitting before your feet, just set all our hearts down, God. Bring us to that place where we can sit at your feet like Mary did and to hear your voice, to hear you speak. I pray for your peace upon our soul right now. And that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying tonight. And Lord, that you would call us, you would bring us, Lord, right there into your heart, into your presence, Lord, as we open your word and study it. So I ask for the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon your word tonight. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Just a few days ago, I read about a lost cat that have finally come back home after, get this, 10 years, 10 years. In uh, 2011, the cat's name was Forbes, uh, had wandered from his home and his devoted family in Aberdeen, Scotland. This is from Scotland. Someone found a now skinny cat in the city streets wandering around and brought him into the, the Scottish society, basically the human or humane society, uh, like we have here, they scanned the cat and they found a, a microchip and then they were able to contact the owner. So they called them. Well, the owners immediately went to the cat. They drove out to the animal shelter to be reunited with their cat. They went back into the city here. Now, the Hendersons, and that's Forbes, the cat's owners, were distraught when he first went missing. They had raised him from a kitten, and so when he went missing, they made posters, they went door to door, checked all around, high and low, but after about eight or nine months, they sadly realized that the worst may have happened. But they say, I quote, it was a dream come true when he was brought out there at the uh, Humane Society there, and the family recognized him immediately. Now, Mr. Henderson, the dad, said, Forbes did give me a big cuddle. <laughs> I like that. Nice that the cat was finally able to come back home. Now, I know if you don't like cats, you're like good riddance. No, but, <laughs> but if it was your dog, right, you know, you'd be like, oh, they're finally home. And there's many stories out there, true stories of dogs or cats or, you know, animals coming back home. Well, tonight... As we get into our study in the book of Luke, we come to a passage, it's well known, and it's known as this, the parable of the prodigal son. We, we know that very well, even, even in the world, you know, in history, throughout history, people know that story. And it's that story when the son finally comes back home to the father. So I want you to understand something, though. This parable is not just about the wayward son. It is also about the unmerciful brother. But most of all, it's about the Father's heart, which is God the Father calling out and saying, it's time to come back home. And that's the title of our message tonight, Time to Come Back Home. So we're going to be studying Luke chapter 15 from verse 11 through 32. We're going to finish the chapter tonight. Last time we left off at verse 10. But now we're going to pick it up in this next section from verse 11. And this is the prodigal son story. 
As our title is, it's time to come back home. Time to come back home. We're going to see four things here. This is our outline. Our passage is broken up into four parts. And number one is the resignation. Number two, the realization. Number three, the restoration. And number four, the resentment. So let's begin with number one here, the resignation, the resignation. Now, for those of you taking notes, we're going to be covering from verse 11 through 13 in this first section. So let's begin here with verse 11, though. Verse 11, just verse 11. It says here in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, And he said, there was a man who had two sons. Now just stop there for a moment. This is, this is the beginning here of Jesus telling this parable. And, and we begin with Luke, the writer of this gospel. He writes and he says, and he said, you know who he is? That's Jesus. Jesus is speaking. But I want you to key in on the word and. And that's why we want to just look at this verse first. Luke begins this whole verse with and because Jesus is continuing on here from what we saw earlier in this chapter with another parable. And I want to stop here and remind you, kind of give you a little review here, because it's important to have the context of why Jesus gave this parable in mind. Remember last time, Jesus gave two other parables because why the Pharisees have grumbled, right? They grumbled about Jesus in verse 2 there because Jesus was drawing crowds the, and, and they specifically said, oh, the, you know, this Jesus, he, he's hanging with tax collectors and sinners. And tax collectors were those hated uh, tax collectors, Jewish tax collectors working for Rome, traitors, right? Sinners really spoke of those who, who sin and crime and uh, just the lower part of society, even those who are sick and all. So in Jewish society, these were like, really, everyone looked at, these were despised and hated. And so the Pharisees, you know, the high makamakas, they would have nothing to do with them. So this was the Pharisees' jab. That was our outline last time. The first thing we saw is their jab toward Jesus uh, because they're trying to put him down. But Jesus, God was just trying to reach out and love these people back. So in response to that, Jesus gave some parables. If you remember the first parable from verse 3 to 7 was about a shepherd who left the 99 sheep to go bring back and find that one sheep that had strayed. And when he returned... Uh, with the lost sheep, there was great rejoicing. The whole village got together, and this was the shepherd's joy we saw. And then the second parable was from verse 8 through 10. It was about a woman who lost a silver coin, right? It was part of that wedding gift we, we learned about. She turned her house all upside down, and, and then she found it. And then what? There was great rejoicing in the village there, too, and this was the women's joy. Well, in both instances, if you remember, Jesus followed up the, at the end of the parable. Jesus said that there was great joy in heaven whenever even one sinner repents. You remember that? So here's Jesus. His message to the Pharisees is to, look, you guys, have a heart. Have a heart of compassion. Have mercy for those who are lost and led astray with sin. So I want you to put that in mind. Keep that context in mind. And with that in mind, now he comes to this third parable here in what we see from verse 11 through 32. 
So take a look again, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, verse 12, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And we'll stop there. Now, this man... This father had two sons. And the younger one comes to the father and basically asks for his share of the property, which is the inheritance. So the father divided it up between the two, his two boys. And so he gave the younger son his portion, which understand this. This will be one third of the inheritance because this was the younger son, right? The older one would actually, the firstborn would get a double portion. So the younger one gets one-third, the older son gets a double portion, two-thirds of the inheritance. And that's just the way the Jews did things, and we find that back in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17. And then the younger son gathered all he had. Basically, he cashed it in, and he cashed it out, went to a far country, and he was enticed, basically, this far country, meaning it was a Gentile city, right? He left his Jewish home and went to this Gentile country. And as he already planned, he took off and squandered. The word squandered there in the original language means scattered or throw aside. In other words, he wasted all his money. He just spent it all. And what did he spend it all? On reckless living. Here in the ESV, it's translated reckless living. The old world is actually prodigal living. And that, that, the, these words in the Greek means wild living, uh, without restraint. In other words, he just went all out, partied, ate, spent his money, just, just spent everything he had, his whole inheritance. He just went and, and totally went crazy with it. You could say the prodigal son left home for the prodigal life. That's what he really did. So this is what I call really the resignation. You know why? Because he quit his family. He left his home. He, he quit everything, his family, all that. That meant he quit the relationship with the father and just went out to live on his own. Now understand, as the Jewish religious leaders, these Pharisees and, and other Jews that were sitting there listening to this parable, they would have heard this and their mouths would have dropped open in shock. I mean, this goes completely against their Jewish culture. For, for a son to come up and ask this, it meant the son was very arrogant, very selfish, and then squandering the father's hard-earned earth. Well, that, that, to just fill the, a person's lust and greed, that was shocking. That was just beyond. That, that was something that they couldn't believe anyone would do. I mean, this was the worst thing a son could do to their father. Now, sometimes a Jewish father would portion out the inheritance, you know, uh, while the sons were alive. But what he did for the son to just approach the father, then take, cash it in, take that money, go out and spend it on, squander, that was very, very disrespectful to the father and especially the Jewish ways. And it was very dishonoring to the father and putting him down. You know what? Because basically he's saying, I wish you were dead, so give me my inheritance now. So first of all, understand this. 
When the younger son left home with the inheritance, he left a wake of hurt and disregard for the father. So I want you to kind of get the feeling here in, in what's going on as he took this money and what's going on. He just squandered it all, spent it all. And, and just imagine, yeah, how that must have felt for the father, the family, and the son didn't care. And so he left a wake of hurt and disregard for the father. I remember one time um, we were ministering up in, uh, to one of the long-term care patients up at Kula Hospital. And, and I remember, the, I'll never forget really, this elderly man, we were talking story with him, just wanting to pray with him and share with him. I, I would never forget he told me that his adult children don't come and visit him anymore and I was like well why 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 not and he said because once he ran out of money they stopped coming they only came to get money out of him how sad is that but you know what child of God we can be like this younger son too or more more interested in the quote-unquote money or the blessings or or what can you get me God rather than the relationship. Or we may even treat each other in that way, leaving a, a wake of hurt. You know, child of God, don't value things more than family. Don't put pleasure above obedience. Don't seek distant blessings like this prodigal did more than what you have right at home. And maybe that's the reason why you're so distant from the Lord himself. So let me say, it's time to come back home. Well, we've seen the resignation. Now number two, the realization. The realization. Now we're going to be covering verse 14 through 19 here. But first of all, take a look at verse 14 through 16. It says here, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So we see here now this younger son, he spent everything, all his money. He had no more money. And to make things work worse, this famine came, and guess what? The whole economy crashed. Yeah, uh, it, it was hard. It was hard times at that time. So he was in need, it said. He, he, he was destitute. He was poor. He was homeless. He was in desperation. So desperate, he hired himself, in verse 15, out to one of the citizens there, one of the Gentiles there, uh, who sent him out into his field to do it. Feed pigs. And then six, verse 16 tells us he was so hungry, he was longing to, to even eat the pods, which is the husks from the seed pods from a carob tree. That's what it really described him. But basically, just think about this. This is pig food. This is pig food. And so he was, it looked so good. He was so hungry. That food looked so, it looked good enough for him to eat. But verse 16 says, that no one gave him anything. Where's his friends now? Where's everyone now? Where's all the guys who are hanging out, helping him spend all that money? I bet you when he first came to town, he was the most popular guy there, 
right? He bought everyone the finest food, the finest drink. They all stayed in the finest places to live. But when the money's were, money was gone, the friends were gone. What we see here is a Jewish now, young man hitting rock bottom. This Jewish man was reduced to nothing. Think about this. Here's a Jewish guy working for a Gentile. Here's a Jewish guy feeding pigs, that which is not kosher for them. Here's a Jewish guy wanting to eat pig's food. Here's a Jewish guy from a loving Jewish family, now all alone, all alone. This is a Jewish guy hitting rock bottom. But you know what? This is when he woke up. This is when he woke up. Look at verse 17 through 19. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So we see here this younger son opens his eyes to the reality of his sin. That's what we find here in verse 17 when when he says, when he came to himself. He came to the realization. He came to his senses. And he's saying probably to himself, he's saying, what am I doing here, right? What am I doing here? I mean, my father's hired servants eats better than me. He's in this place of realization. It's like, what have I done, you know? What have I done? Look where I am right now. Now, this is the realization as our heading is of what he's done wrong. And what he says and what we just read, it shows by four things that I'm going to show you, how, how it really shows that he has come to this place of realizing where, what he's done. And so by the four things he's willing to do, we see that this is real for them. This is true and genuine. And the first thing I want you to see, number one, is the realization brings him to remember from where you strayed. Remember from where you strayed. In verse 17, he came to himself, he said, He's thinking about, why, hey, back home, my father's hired servants, they have more than enough bread. They're taken care of. So he remembers how back home his father always had food and provided even for the servants. He remembers that's where a real home is. That's where I strayed from. So the first thing he, we see here is he remembers from where he strayed. And that's what we got to do. We got to remember from where you strayed. And then number two, he makes this, the decision to number two, return to where you belong. Return to where you belong. Verse 18, it says, I will arise and go to my father. So he's realizing where he's at, he's, he, he, how far he's strayed. So what's the decision to do? To return, to go back to his father. He's not going to just sit there and wait for the Father to come to him. No, he's going to make that effort. He's going to take that time. He's going to make the choice to return and not just sit there. So return to where you belong, number two. Number three, then he takes the step to repent of 
your sin. The second part of verse 18, he says, And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So you know what he's doing? He's taking responsibility yeah, of his sin. He's, he's, he, he's confessing his sin like 1 John 1, 9 says. He, he's saying, I've done this. I've sinned. And I've done wrong taking responsibility for both what, what he did against heaven or really the heavenly father and his father, the earthly father. Notice, he says here in verse 18, I have sinned. Do you notice that? He didn't blame anybody. He didn't blame the famine. He didn't blame his friends that left them all alone and put him in this place. He didn't blame anybody. He didn't blame that. He didn't blame the economy. He knows his own wrong and the consequences that brought him right there. I have sinned. So here he was truly repenting of his sin. So we see, first of all, remember where you from where you strayed. Number two, return to where you belong. Number three, repent of your sin. And here's the fourth thing we say. He is fully willing to remain under the consequences. And I think this is important. Verse 19 again, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm going to tell my dad that. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He knows he he doesn't deserve to be brought back into the family. He doesn't deserve the, what he did. It was so wrong, so sinful, so against the father. He deserves nothing. And he's fully willing to live with the consequences of his choices. He's willing to take those consequences. That's a repentant heart. That's a true, genuine heart that is humbled and broken before God. He's hit bottom. He's broken, you know. He knows there's only one place to go, to his father. And he knows that whatever consequences it is, I need to take responsibility of that. I need to confess my sin. And I need to remain under those consequences and stay humble here. So this is what we see with this son. I think this is something we need to understand when we go before God. That we remember from where you're where you strayed that we return to where you belong we repent of your sin and remain under the consequences all this all this kind of heart is the evidence of a repentant heart and this is what god looks for this is what god desires if you're connected online understand that this is what god is wanting of you tonight you know this is exactly really or similar to what jesus even said turn over to the right to uh revelation chapter 2 revelation chapter 2 and if you remember uh we've been studying the book of revelation on sunday and um way back when we started uh, we're in verse uh chapter 13 now but way back in chapter 2 when we were going through the letters to the churches in revelation chapter 2 you remember To the church of Ephesus, Jesus told them really a very similar thing. And look at verse 5, Revelation 2, verse 5. Jesus says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So look at the three things he says here. Verse 5, Remember. Right where you fall from, where you've fallen, repent. That's to 
turn, to do a 180 here. And then it says, do the works. That's return to what you were doing before. Where are you, little lost sheep? Have you hit bottom yet? Are you there? When you open your eyes and you come to the realization of how far you've fallen, this is what you do. What the prodigal son did, what Jesus is saying here in Revelation chapter 2, that's where you need to be to this realization, to the reality of what has happened. You know, I read about a man who worked at, for a waste management company and won the $50 million uh, or pound lottery in England. And after eight years, he lost it all. Eight years, he spent it all on just fast living, jewelry, cars, wild living, partying, the whole thing. Well, he told a reporter following up on his life after uh, you know, all these years, And um, he told the reporter that he was hoping to get his old rubbish truck job back. And then he sadly said these words, Well, the party's over, it's back to reality. And that's the sad reality when you do whatever you like and you really end up with nothing. You know, sin may promise freedom, but in reality it brings bondage. Sin may promise success, but in reality it brings failure. Sin may promise life, but in reality it brings death, like it says in Romans. You guys, don't be fooled by the devil. He says, oh, you're gain much. Oh, this is what life. Ah, chase after your sin. Do whatever you like. But in reality, it only pays out heartache and pain. So God pleads tonight, and he says it's time to come back home. So we see the resignation, the realization, and then number three now, I think this is the best part, the restoration, the restoration. Let's take a look here from verse 20 through 24, and this is our section here. It says, And he arose and came to his father, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet." And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. We'll stop there. How beautiful this is. How wonderful to see this part of the story. Now, notice something here. It says in, in verse 20, he rose, came to his father, and then it says, but while he was still a long way off, right? Understand, he's still out in the distance, and distant, Dis- distance, distance. <laughs> and so he's still far away. He's not up to the father yet. But then it says the father saw him. Still a long way off, his father saw him. What treasured words that is. Saw him. I mean, if, if you want to highlight or circle a word, circle that. The father saw him. You know why? Because it means 
Every day since the boy left, the father kept going out and looking for the boy to come back, looking for him, hoping that he would come back home. And notice, it says here in verse 20, when he did see him, he felt compassion. There was no condemnation there, right? He didn't feel condemnation. He, there's no hostility. But his heart was full of compassion for his wayward son, for his boy there. And then the amazing thing here is it says, and ran. The father ran to meet his son. And then when he did, he hugged him strong, I feel like. He kissed him probably all over him, his face. Now understand something here. This is huge. To see that the father ran here in verse 20, that doesn't happen in that culture. The elder person doesn't run. No, the younger one, the boy, especially the boy in the wrong, he was supposed to come up to the father. The father should have been just sitting there, arms crossed, waiting for the boy to come, even if he saw him in the distance. But here, as soon as the father saw the boy at a distance, he ran, the father ran to the boy. I was thinking, whoa, I wonder what the boy thought. He's running toward me, you know, I'm going to get a kind of thing, maybe. No, but his father ran ran to him to receive him, to accept him back, to welcome him, him back. And, and look, look, he, the father did this even before the boy said anything, right? He comes up to the boy. We, we, we see this in verse 20. He's embracing him. He's kissing him. He felt compassion. He ran to him before the boy said anything. I mean, one thing if the father ran up to him and stopped and said, so what? You know, kind of thing, right? So, so what? What are you going to say? You can say you're sorry, you know, kind of thing. No, the father just went and, and received him and, and hugged him. And, and so the boy says what he was rehearsing, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy. You know, let me be your slave and all that. But look at what the father does after that. Verse 22, the father said to the servant, bring quickly the, the best robe. Now, the father does something unbelievable after the boy repents and confesses his sin against the father and God. The father calls for the servants to bring, first of all, the best robe. Now, usually the best robe is given to the guest of honor. And guess what? This prodigal son gets it. And then he asks the servant for a ring for his hand or really for his finger, right? Well, it's a symbol of authority, this ring, meaning the son's position, position is restored. Isn't that crazy? This wayward son, the one who took the inheritance and squandered it? No, you're going to be my son again. And then the father asked the servants to put shoes on his feet, the end of verse 22. In the ancient times, the thing is servants there, they don't wear Shoes, only only the, the main people there wear shoes. And so even though this son, this young son, was willing to be just another servant in the house for his father, the father made him his son again. And then on top of that, he calls for the servants to bring the fatted calf, the calf that was being fatted up for special occasions, for a special celebration, for a special dinner, and this was it. Let's eat and celebrate. Isn't that amazing? 
what this father does. I mean, just unbelievable to the son that did so much wrong to him, the family, and even to God. And so why was the father so happy? Why was he rejoicing? Why did he want to celebrate? Well, he says so in verse 24, For this my son was dead. It seemed to the father that he was gone, that no more that we'd never see him again. And perhaps even in the Jewish culture, a son who did something like this was considered dead, and maybe that's what people were telling the father. But the son that was dead is alive. He's come back in repentance. And the son that was lost, like the sheep, in earlier parable, like the coin that the woman lost in the other parable, is found has been returned. And so there's a celebration, so much rejoicing. So this is what we see right here, the restoration of the wayward son when the father father fully accepted the son back. Now, this would have been shocking once again to the Jews listening, the Pharisees to hear, what, what? He's a sinner. He went against his father. He dishonored his family. He squandered an inheritance. He hurt the father. He shamed the family. He touched pigs. And what? The father hugs him, touches him. He's unclean. He's defiled. This sinner, he's one of the worst kind. And fathers don't run. That's shameful. Could you imagine what's going through their mind? But Jesus is trying to get them to change their heart toward the tax collectors and the sinners. And then what? Even more shocking, he gives them a robe, bring shoes, and special celebration. You know what? If anything, he should have just left them and be, a, you know, let him be a servant there. But a son, again? But I, what I like is what we see is the Father's compassion and love was way more than the sins that were committed. So the Father ran. And when He ran, He ran, really, to cover the Son's shame. Think about that. The Father shames Himself to cover the Son's shame. And isn't that what Jesus did when He died on the cross for our sins? He shamed Himself to cover our shame so that he could die and, the, and his blood could forgive us and we would be cleansed. Which brings us to really Jesus' point here. And I want to bring this out here in the middle of the parable. And so this is what he's trying to put forth. As this wayward son was graciously received back home, so is God's heart and compassion to anyone who returns to him. How beautiful this is. No, no wonder we all love this story because we have all been prodigal sons and daughters. We have all been wayward many times. We've all done and gone and did our own things and squandered God's blessings. Yet, when we come back, we, God's heart of compassion, He'll receive anyone who returns to Him. His love is more. Remember Romans 5.20, the second part says, but where sin incre increased, God, uh, grace abounded all the more, right? Where sin abounded, the old versions say, right? Grace abounded much more. So let me call out to you guys. Are you afraid that God will not accept you 
after your failure. Well, look at this story. Look at what we just read. Look, look at this. God is actually waiting for you to come back. And when he sees you, when you come and approach him, the heavenly father will run to you. And think about this. In this parable, it's a picture of the Heavenly Father. And you can say, this is the only time in the Bible we see when God ran. Corey Ten Boom said, there's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Once, a long time ago, I read about this. A Chinese artist was commissioned to paint the parable, a real long time ago, to paint the parable of the prodigal son. So he chose that part of the story right here where the wayward boy returns home. He depicted this father standing by the gate waiting for his son who could be seen approaching in the distance. Well, when the artist showed the painting to a a Christian friend, the friend said, oh, no, no, you, you got this wrong. It's not right at all. The father should not be standing still. He should be eagerly running to meet his son. The artist replied, but, but no Chinese father would ever consider doing that to one who had been so wayward. Ah, said the Christian friend, but this parable depicts the heart of God. He is far more loving than even the best of human parents. That's what we got to think outside of our minds of what maybe a father would do. And maybe, maybe you have not had a good experience with your father. Maybe you're abandoned by your father. Maybe you grew up without one. Maybe your father wasn't great. But I'll tell you what, the heavenly father is way different. He's perfect in every way, and he's perfect in his love. So no more excuses. No more excuses. This is God's heart. This is his compassion for you, and it's time to come back home. All right, so we see the resignation, the realization, the restoration. Now, finally, number four, the resentment. The resentment. And we'll finish off the rest of this chapter from verse 25 through 32. But first of all, uh, let's begin at verse 25. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Verse 27, And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has, he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, But he was angry and refused to go in, But his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted, fatted calf for him. Stop right there. Well, can you hear... The tone, you can almost hear, right? The tone of the older brother's voice. This bitterness, right? Like, how, how could you do that to him? You know, you, you could hear maybe this legalisticness, this self-righteousness. I'm better than him kind of logic in the way he perceives all that is going on. Now, look at how this older son you know, he didn't want, he, he, he found out what's going on. Uh, he was angry. His father comes out, tries to talk to him. But, but listen to how, how 
how he complains to his father. He says, basically, if you look at verse 29, he answered the father. He says, look, these many years, I have served you. In other words, I, I really deserve this attention. Why are you giving him all that attention? And I'll tell you what, it sounds like how the Pharisees carry themselves before the people. That's what we've been seeing here in the book of Luke, right? The second thing he says here in verse 29, And I never disobeyed your command. I never disobeyed you, not once. In, in, in other words, what? I'm way better than him, right? I've never, but he's the one. You can hear that uh, accusation, uh, uh, accusatory kind of tone that he's doing. And then he, and then he says this, and then he says, um, Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might even celebrate with my friends. And there's that word, never, right? accusing the father wrong. You never even gave me, just even, you gave me the fatted cow. I never even have a goat to have a party with. But this older son, doesn't he realize that he actually has more than the younger son, right? He has a double portion. It's almost like he's like, what? He wants it all. He doesn't like that this, he's jealous that the son is even getting anything. To me, it sounds like the Pharisees, how they carry themselves, you know, all high and holy and thinking that they deserve everything, that they're the favorite of God. And then notice in verse 30, right, when, he, when the older son says, but when this son, how do you like this, of yours, right, of yours, not acknowledging that this is his brother. Why? Well, you can hear the resentment there. You can see the resentment here. And he says, look how he devoured, how he wasted it all. You know, maybe perhaps this older brother wanted the other one-third. Who knows? But it sure sounds like these Pharisees who are very greedy with money and power. But notice this. Even with the resentment, this is the resentment in his heart. Look at what the Father says, verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother, verse 32, was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. Even though the brother was, was just, the older brother, I think, was just as lost in his attitude toward the uh, younger brother, the father, I see, still gave him the same grace he gave the wayward son. He still called him son. And I could see Jesus looking into the eyes of the Pharisees saying, Hey, son, look, look. You always, uh, you're, you're always with me, right? You're always with me. All I have, all I have mine is yours. Uh, you're always with me. The Pharisees were the ones who were always going to the temple to worship when the sinners and tax collectors were never allowed to go in. I think this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And then the father here, the earthly father, says, all that is mine is yours. Here's the opportunity for the Pharisees who's, who's, who's there to cultivate that relationship with God. Look, I'm, it can be yours. You know, everything is there right in front of you. But their problem was 
the lack of compassion on their brother Jews. So just as this older brother yeah, lacked compassion for his younger brother, he was, the older brother was blind to his own sin. Yeah? Uh, and so here the father, or I would say the heavenly father, and Jesus is trying to get them to see, look, these sinners, these tax collectors, they were dead, but now they're alive. They're lost, but now found. So here's our last point tonight. The cure for the resentment is to understand that, here's our last point, the Heavenly Father asks you to have the same love and compassion He has for those who have repented of sin. That's the cure for resentment. Sometimes in our legalistic ways, we can be condemning. Sometimes in our selfish ways, we can look down on someone else. Sometimes in, 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 in our jealousy, we can be critical of someone else. And that resentment comes in, that hostility. But Jesus tells us the cure. And the Heavenly Father actually, actually asks us, like this earthly father, to have the same love and compassion He has for those who have repented of sin. In, K- in Keiki Church one day, the lesson was just on this story, the prodigal son. And at the end, the teacher talked about the resentment the older brother had. And so to test the class, the, the teacher asked, Now, who was not happy that the prodigal came home? Well, the class went silent. And after a few minutes, one little boy raised his hand. And, and uh, the teacher called on him. And the little boy conf- confidently stated, The fatted calf. Listen, look inside you and try and determine why you have resentment. Try and determine that. And then don't let it live inside you, for it only rot you from the inside out. This is what God wants. We see a great story here about a wayward son, about the heart of God. We see the heart of this older son full of resentment. But what we want to do is reflect God's heart in every way. Let me close with this. Something that really is a prodigal story and reflects the heart of God. A young uh, Brazilian woman named Christina left her poor town to go out and see the world. When she left, it broke her mother's heart. Uh, she didn't want to be around anymore. She wanted to go out. She, wanted, she didn't want to be at home. But knowing what life on the streets would be like for a young, attractive daughter, uh, the mother, Maria, went to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she stepped into this one of those little photo booths and, and took her own picture. So with a purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Rio de Janeiro. Janeiro. Uh, Maria went in search around at bars, hotels, nightclubs. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money, and she knew that, that a human would do unthinkable things for it. So the mother went to any place with a reputation for street walkers or prostitution. 
At each place she left her picture, taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to uh, like a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth, and on the back of each photo she, she had written a note. When the mother ran out of uh, photos and money, she took the long bus ride home alone and in tears. Well, a few weeks later, Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to go back home. Yet, the little village was in too many ways, too far away, and she didn't think she would be welcome. Well, as she reached the bottom of the stairs... Her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned, and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. When she looked on the back, and written on the back was this note from her mother, which said, Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And you know what? She did. And so Jesus is reaching out to you tonight. This is his heart calling out to you in the same way, saying it's time to come home. Let's pray. Lord God, as we bow our hearts before you in prayer, I pray for anyone, God, here tonight or even connected online or listening to the sound of my voice. God, you've been speaking loudly to hearts. Your Holy Spirit has been pressing in. But it's not a pressing of condemnation. It's not condemnation, but it's a reaching out with love. It's compassion. And what you're feeling right now is compassion. And Lord, I pray for those people who are under the weight of their sin and you're there wanting to release them right now. And so, God, I pray that they would hear your voice and respond to you right now, that they would truly come back to you, that they would remember, that they would repent, that they would confess and that they would return to what they need to do, that they would come and approach you just in a prayer with all their heart and God, I know that you will run and meet them there, right where they're at. And thank you, God, that even when we're fallen and in the mess we're in, as we open our hearts up to you, you still run, you still come to us, Lord. And you pick us up, you carry us, you hug us, you kiss us, Lord. And you receive us back when we thought we'd never be received back. But this is your love, God. This is how great and deep it is that even where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, and your love is greater and even more and deeper and wider than our sin. God, you're just looking for a repentive heart. You're just looking for us to just turn. Lord, I pray for those who have hit bottom that they're on a bond right now, that they're broken and they know what they've done and they need you right now. And I pray you that they would just cry out to you right now, Lord, and that they would give their life over to you 
right now. If, it, if, if you hear this right now, just say a little prayer. Just say a little prayer like, please, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me now. I come in repentance and confess to you. Help me now, God. Pick me up. Restore me back to you. I've left my first love, and I need to come back to you now. Help me as I surrender my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone who's prayed that prayer, that you would do that very thing. Forgive them, pick them up, cleanse them, love on them, and touch them with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.